Welcome, everyone, to the inaugural edition of the BrownsZone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch, and I am joined by Scott Petrek, Browns beat reporter for many years now with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and he's also a judge, jury, and executioner at BrownsZone.com <laughs> as well. Scott, great to be working with you, and this is, of course, a very exciting week as we're getting ready for the start of training camp in Browns fans everywhere have been waiting for this for a very long time. You've detailed this a number of times before we get into our other topics here. Let's begin with this. I mean, the anticipation getting ready for this week. This is perhaps the most highly anticipated training camp in, you could argue, 30 years. I I think you're right. And first of all, I'm just excited to do this podcast. And I think Browns fans are probably a little more excited to get this season going. And I was thinking about it. You know, I was writing these training camp previews. And I know there was excitement in 2008 because the Browns were good in 2007. They went 10-6, and six, didn't go to the playoffs. I know in 94, they made the playoffs under Belichick. Everybody was excited going into 95. But it doesn't seem like there's been this much excitement to me since the mid-80s when Bernie was there and he's thrown to Webster and Reggie and Brennan and Ozzie and he had Biner and Mack because there was a sustained, sustained success back then and you could count on the Browns being good and it was – I remember the city being out of control, right? I was a teenager at the time, and it feels like the town is ready to get behind this Browns team for the first time, really, since then, and that makes it truly exciting. I mean, we talked about it. I can't go anywhere without people stopping me and talking about Browns and playoffs and Super Bowl, and there's some legitimacy to these discussions for finally, right? Absolutely. Well, Scott's been in some celebrity golf outings of late. <laughs> he laughs at that, but we're 100% serious. And uh, I think it's fascinating. You talk about the excitement, and it's not just playing in the celebrity golf outings. All people want to talk about are Browns. You go to the grocery store. You go yep. to the gas station. That's all they want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I had it happen to me at a golf outing. I had it happen to me at a wake. And then every family event I go to, it's Browns, 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 Browns. And, you know, I was out Saturday night in Tremont. And that came up again. It just does. And it usually does, right? Because people know what I do and it's a Brownstown. But it's way at a different level this offseason. And we saw it happening last season. He saw it with Baker and then Kareem Hunt and then Odell Beckham. And the fact that they finished so strong last year, and I think people like Freddie or they love Freddie, people want to cheer for Freddie and they think he's going to do a good job. Freddie Kitchen's a coach. Like it, it just is all, to me, coming together to create this moment of anticipation and excitement. And to, to me, the key is there's reason to be excited. right? Browns fans are excited every year. But this year, I think there's a real reason. The roster ranks up there with the best in the NFL. And you have a quarterback who we have no indication to think or no reason to think otherwise is going to be a really good quarterback. He might be a top 10 quarterback already in year two. And when you have those ingredients – it's okay to get excited. It's okay to think that the Browns can win the AFC North. They've never won the AFC North, right, in their history. And all of a sudden, I think they're the favorite, and I'm not alone, Vegas oddsmakers, think they're the favorite to win the AFC North. So therefore, I tell fans, get as excited as you want because I think I think their excitement and their hope is going to be rewarded expectations we can start with that and I'm sure that's a thing that's going to continue to pop up all throughout training camp and the million dollar question is you know how will first year head coach Freddie Kitchens handle these expectations I know you and I have had this conversation many a times before and you wrote an article recently talking about how Freddie Kitchens has a plan in place for his first head coaching opportunity what all does this plan involve 
Yeah, it, it's interesting because he's never been a head coach at any level, right? So there's a lot of unknowns. And he tries to kind of downplay that in that he's been a coach for a long time. He's been an assistant in the NFL. I think he's was a 13-year assistant before he became the head coach. And I get that. But I think it'd be naive to believe that there's not a huge learning curve, or some learning curve at least, right, for a first-time head coach at any level. And that goes from setting the tone when players arrive, making sure you have the schedule set, all the kind of stuff away from football that goes into being a head coach. And then you talk about he's going to be the play caller, and he's going to have to decide when to challenge plays on the field. There's a lot going on, right, when to use timeouts. Nothing that he – all things that he's never had to do before – and we're not even going to know about those until preseason or regular season. And then there's how do you handle all the personalities? What if stuff goes bad, right? What if there's a fight on the field? Like All the things that head coaches deal with, he's going to have to deal with for the first time. doesn't mean he can't handle it. It just means there's a lot to wonder about how Freddie's going to do. But when we talked to him in minicamp, I thought it was interesting. And I'm just going to read you the quote because... I think it tells you where his mindset is. He goes, I want to be the most physical team on the field. I want to play great defense. I want to move the ball. I want to be great on special teams. That kind of sums it up. Now, in saying all that, these guys, the players, had to decide what they want the identity to be. I know what we are going to push and press for, and the identity is going to be knowing what to do, knowing when to do it, and knowing how to do it. And in everything that we do, do it physically. So he's trying to set a tone there and establish toughness and physicality and being smart. And I appreciate those qualities. Now he's got to translate it to the field. And it starts with coaching, it starts with the staff, and it starts with practice on Thursday. And I think that's when we're first going to get a glimpse of exactly how Freddie's going to handle this transition, which is a big one. Absolutely. And I think based on all of that, we should certainly expect this to be a very physical training camp. And that's not something that you always see in the NFL these days because the rules are a little bit more relaxed. Not to say that it isn't physical. I think every camp in some form or fashion is definitely still very physical. But based on what you hear from Freddie Kitchens there, it seems like this one's going to be a little more physical. And I think it's safe to say, too, things are going to get a little bit tested. That's not unusual right. when it comes to training camp, but in addition to all the physicality that he plans on using at this training camp, you have a lot of fresh new faces here yep. as well, and it's a meshing of personalities. That's going to be a tough juggling act for him too. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. We go back to Hard Knocks last year, right? And Freddie was the guy in the room that asks Hugh Jackson why guys aren't practicing. And can't we put him in uniform and have him stand there and watch practice as opposed to riding the bike? And that's the first time a lot of people got introduced to Freddie Kitchens. I mean, he was just a running backs coach. I mean, he had the slash title of associate head coach, but he didn't have a bigger role on the staff. I mean, I'm around the team every day. You didn't notice Freddie Kitchens, and then you did in Hard Knocks. And he'll bring that up. He'll, you know, when he gets asked about camp or resting guys, he goes, well, didn't you watch Hard Knocks? So I think Freddie goes in saying, I'm not going to sit guys out if they have a slight hamstring thing. Maybe they won't practice fully, but I'm not going to, quote-unquote, coddle them. I'm, they're not going to be to the side. They're going to be involved. And that's a change from not only Hugh Jackson, but the coaches that preceded Hugh Jackson. And I find it interesting. You know, I've been around Freddie a little bit. I'm not claiming to be an expert on Freddie Kitchens. But I do think he is trying to define himself partly in who he is, right? He's really proud about being genuine, and this is who I am, and I'm an honest guy. And I think being around for as long as he has – he also wants to differentiate himself from things that other guys do. And Hugh Jackson's the most obvious example because he's following Hugh Jackson. 
and Greg Williams. When he talks about, I don't like coaches who are screamers. To me, that goes back to Greg Williams. When he talks about genuine, I think that goes back to Hugh Jackson. So I think Freddie's been around long enough that he says, I don't want to do it like this guy did. I don't want to do it like this guy did. And I think we could argue whether or not that's great or not, whether you should just have your own philosophies. But I think just as a person, you develop things. You look at a guy and you say, I don't want to do it like that guy does, whether it's your boss or your dad or whoever. So I think part of who Freddie's going to be is looking at all the coaches that he's been with and saying, I liked what they did, I didn't like what they did, and hopefully he can stick to those guns and execute that plan and be the kind of head coach that he's always kind of looked at other guys and said, that's the kind of head coach I like or I want to be. And you've detailed that many times, all the personalities, all the big names that he's been around, not only in the NFL ranks, but in the college ranks as well. So that's a name we'll continue to discuss a lot throughout training camp. We can talk about a lot of guys being under the microscope, but I think the spotlight's certainly going to be on Freddie Kitchens because we know that he's certainly going to be under the gun. You wrote it in your article recently, too, talking about the five things to watch for yeah. as training camp begins. I want to give you a chance to elaborate on all five of those, and I'm not sure if you have those in any particular <laughs> order or not, but there's a lot of excitement here, and I think we're watching for a lot of different things, but you spotlighted five in particular. Yeah, I, I started with storylines, and I'm going to have battles to watch and players to watch, but just storylines, which to me are a little different than the position battles and the particular players to keep an eye on. You know, I think it starts with the Duke Johnson Baker Mayfield relationship. And last time we left the Browns, last time they were together as a unit was minicamp. And Duke shows up and he says, Yeah, I want to be traded. These fences can't be mended. Get me out of here. And Baker watches the interview, like stands there behind the media, watches him say that. And then we talk to Baker and he says, Any awkwardness is self inflicted. You're either on the train or you're not. And it, those are shots at Duke. And it didn't go over well with some of the guys in the locker room. I think Duke has built up, because he's been here you know, for years now, he built up relationships inside the locker room. And guys didn't like Baker, a young guy, calling out Duke. You know, you, When you start talking about guys' business off the field, it gets a little touchy in the locker room. So I want to see how that goes. I want to see Baker, I don't know if he apologizes to Duke, does he pull them together and say, hey, we're in this together. As long as you're here, we're in this together. And I think... If Baker does that, it would go a long way in not mending the locker room, but uniting the locker room. Because Baker views himself as a leader, and he's got to be the leader, and he's a quarterback. But you don't want any factions inside there if you can avoid them. And I think this is an easy one to fix because Duke is a guy that, like I said, is respected in that locker room. So I don't want to see Baker just dismiss him and discard him. So that's one of the first things I'm going to watch when we get to camp. Then we talked about expectations, but the circus that that entails, right? And, and I was there for Johnny Manziel, and that was a circus, right? And we had media from everywhere, and the questions these Johnny's getting, and inflatable swans, and all of it. And I think this is going to supersede that. And part of that is a football thing, because they're going to be better, and the team's going to be better. So it's not all, quote-unquote, hype. There's a lot of it grounded in reality and the fact that there are playoff expectations. But OBJ is a superstar, a worldwide superstar, kind of on the same level. I mean, we can have this argument, but LeBron-type player, or LeBron-type celebrity star. Then you add in Baker, who's a football guy that's kind of polarizing, Heisman Trophy winner, huge name. Miles Garrett is a phenomenal talent and a different personality that media wants to talk to. Jarvis Landry, I mean, you can go on down the list. Kareem Hunt's going to be there. So – 
I think it's going to be an insane environment. And being a young team and being an unproven team, I have big questions about how they're going to handle it. doesn't mean they won't be able to handle it, but they have to prove that they can handle that. And maybe that means you get all the national interviews out of the way in the first couple weeks, and then you really buckle down. Maybe you don't have time to deal with all the off-field, quote-unquote, distractions, and it's all about football. But they're certainly going to have to learn to live with life in the spotlight. And while individually guys have had to learn to deal with that, organizationally, I don't think this team has because the expectations haven't been around this team for a decade. You know, and then we've talked about Freddie. you got to keep an eye on Freddie. Demarius Randall, the free safety, he's entering the last year of his contract. And if he's going to get an extension, it will probably come before the season starts because once the season starts, we know how it works. Guys can see free agency coming. They can see the money, the dollar signs. They can see the market. So does something get done with him before the season starts? And then Kareem Hunt. Everybody expects him to be back week 10. We get to see him practice and play in the preseason. How's he handle it? Is he, is he doing the right things off the field? which the Browns say he is, but then we see him talk to police outside a bar last month. So I want to keep an eye on him because he has the potential to be a huge midseason addition in Week 10, but he's got to be eligible (laughs) Week 10 for that to matter. So those are the kind of things, quote-unquote, off the field that I'm really going to want to pay attention to, and I think people want to know how those things happen because all those five things will affect the team and could affect the season. Absolutely, and I think those are th- certainly things you want to keep an eye on. Over the next six weeks here, as we yeah. get closer to kickoff, and you know, I, I think it's fun because there's a lot of hype surrounding this team. You mentioned the excitement in the area. You really can't go anywhere now without anybody asking you about the Browns. And one of the names that continues to pop up, you referenced it there a few moments ago, Duke Johnson. You know, This saga just continues. He, of course, got rid of his old agent. Yep. Now he's got Drew Rosenhaus. And you wrote an article recently explaining that the Browns should keep Duke Johnson and trust that he's going to be a good teammate. I want to give you an opportunity to explain that simply because you know how Browns fans work. They're excited now because this has the potential to be the best season record-wise they've had since all the way back in 2007 when they won 10 games. Right. And Browns fans have always had that mentality. We love you while you're here, but... If you don't want to be here, then get the hell out, right? <laughs> right. No, you're, you're right. And I find this case, I, I think there's so many layers to this Duke Johnson situation. And you mentioned the agent, and I don't think his former agent, Kristen Campbell, I, I don't think she did him any favors because I'm fine with the trade request. Because, and I talked to Kristen when she requested the trade, it, April 1st, it was when I talked to her. And she said John Dorsey had made it known that Duke was available in trades. So if the team's willing to trade you, then as a player, I think you have every right to say, then get me out of here. Do everything you can to get me out of here. Now, obviously, John Dorsey had signed Duke to the extension last offseason. He's under contract, so Duke doesn't have a whole lot of say in what happens. It's up to John Dorsey if he wants to trade him, what he demands back in a trade. And I think that's a mid-round pick, and nobody's offered him a mid-round pick. So that's why Duke's on this team. And Dorsey appreciates Duke's talent enough not to just give him away. But I think if I'm Duke's agent, I would have had him skip minicamp. I know it's mandatory. I know the team could have fined you up to $88,000. But I think that would have sent a clear message that, hey, I'm not messing around here. I'm not going to come in and be a good guy. Get me out of here. And that may have forced John Dorsey's hand. Instead, Duke shows up, 
Duke practices. Duke looks good. He says what he says about wanting to be traded, but then says, I'll also be a good professional if I'm still here, which I think I appreciate as a person and as a player. But if your end goal is to get out of here, I don't think that's getting you out of here, where we see contrasted to a Le'Veon Bell or an Antonio Brown, who were in different situations, but they also got their way out of town. So he hires Drew Rosenhaus. We all know Drew Rosenhaus. He's a quote-unquote super agent. And maybe Drew can find a way to get Duke out of here. Maybe he can work with another team to give the Browns a compensation or closer to the compensation they're looking at. I think the other question is, does Drew Rosenhaus say stay away from training camp, right? I mean, then then you have then the Browns have a decision to make. However, Duke would be subject to fines. He doesn't have a whole lot of leverage because he's under contract for a couple more years. So, like you mentioned, that thing that data analysis I'd written, the bottom line for me is if Duke's here, Duke's going to play hard. And for a guy that's undersized, he's played every game in his career. And that's impressive. And I like Duke's personality. I know he can be moody and he can pout a little bit. But that to me, that doesn't show up in practice. It doesn't show up in games. And if you know a guy's going to play hard, you know he's talented, you know he's productive, don't just give him away. And I've changed my mind on that because first, it's not always a distraction. And I think you have to keep him. I don't love the running back depth until Kareem Hunt comes back. We talked about it. I'm not convinced Kareem Hunt will come back. You hope he is, but how can you be completely confident? So therefore, I would hang on to Duke. I would trust Duke to be the good teammate in the good hard worker that I think he is. And then if you want, if you get a great offer because somebody gets hurt, trade him. If you get an offer at the trade deadline because you know Hunt's coming back, trade him then. But I would be in no hurry to trade him, and I would not, if I'm John Dorsey, I would not let Drew Rosenhaus force me to make a move I, would, I didn't want to make. A couple of things come out of that. The first question I have is, with Drew Rosenhaus as his agent, how much do you think that could potentially streamline this entire process? I think it has a chance to do that. I really do, just because of Drew's reputation. He's, you know, he's worked with John Dorsey before. He's got other clients on the Browns, so I think, I think that has a chance to move this along. And like I mentioned, I think because of Duke's or Drew's contacts within the league, maybe he can help facilitate that trade. But again, I just don't see John Dorsey caving to Rosenhaus's demands. But it'll be interesting because maybe he feels like that holdout is the chip, kind of that last chip he can play. And if he does, Dorsey might say, hey, this is too fragile and Duke's not important enough for us to let that kind of dominate the conversation. So let's get him out of here. But I've never seen, in talking to John since this Duke thing started three months ago, I've never seen him inclined to move that way. I think he's looking for the compensation he wants, which is that mid-round pick or a player, and until he gets it, he's not going to move him. That's okay. my that's my guess. And that's interesting to me because that leads me right down the next path. I was going to ask you about John Dorsey, who of course is the other end of this. He certainly doesn't strike you as the type that would be pushed around by an agent. And you know, you've mentioned it before. From the first week of the season through at least the eighth or ninth week, maybe even yeah. a little bit more than that, yeah. Duke Johnson's going to play a pretty important role on this team. How much value is there to the idea that they're going to hang on to him, and if he performs really well, well, the compensation package is only going to go up. Yeah. And, you know, combine that with the idea that even though there is this existing relationship with John Dorsey and Drew Rosenhaus, 
again, Dorsey just doesn't seem like the guy that's going to be pushed around because he can always play the card. Look, you're under contract, right. and if you decide you're not going to play, well, those fines are going to add up pretty quickly. Right. Well, I think that goes a lot into it. I really do, and it's all about leverage. And I just don't think Duke has enough leverage. At least that's my opinion. He's under contract, I think it's for two more years, and it's good money for a running back. And it just doesn't feel like he's at a spot where he's not a superstar that if he stays away from camp, does it really force John Dorsey's hand to do something? And I don't think it would. I think I think Dorsey's in a spot where he can take a hard line and say, no, we're going to find you, and when you decide to come back, you're going to come back. And I don't know if Duke's got it in him to sit out for all of training camp and all of the preseason and lose all that money and not be in shape and then hope he winds up with the team week one, and then what's he going to do with that new team, right? Because he hasn't learned the playbook. So I think it's a really tough spot for Duke to be in. And I think his hope would be, not that he's hoping for someone to get hurt, but an injury with another team creates a big need, and that team's willing to give up something that the Browns want. I, I, like To me, that seems like the scenario where everybody can live with it. Duke gets to go somewhere else. John Dorsey gets back. Maybe it's a running back he gets back. Maybe he finds a team that is unhappy with their running back, and you can make a swap, and therefore there's not a big enough drop-off, and therefore, okay, it's worth it for us. We can live with eight weeks as this guy's the backup to Kareem Hunt. Because to me, that's that's the elephant is who's going to back up Kareem Hunt? And, or I'm sorry, who's going to back up Nick Chubb until Kareem Hunt's eligible? Dontrell Hilliard, the Browns coaches can say all the nice things they want about Dontrell Hilliard. He's not ready to be your starting running back, in my opinion. I've not seen enough. He was an undrafted rookie a year ago. I know Duke could play for four weeks as your starter, and you'd be fine. I don't know if I feel that com- that way about Dontrell Hilliard. So until you have a guy that can step into that role in case Nick Chubb gets hurt, I think that's why John Dorsey would be so reluctant to give in to those trade demands. Certainly seems like that's going to be a saga that'll be, well, fascinating to follow in the coming weeks for sure. Well, I know this week you'll be extraordinarily busy with training camp getting going. You already have a lot of things lined up. What kinds of things should we be looking for from you over the next couple of days here as we get going with camp? Sure, I'm going to have battles to watch, and that starts with right guard. Um, You know, we all assumed Austin Corbett was going to be the starter when Kevin Zeitler got traded for Olivier Vernon from the Giants. And yet, we show up for OTAs. We show up for minicamp. And it's a three- or four-way battle for that spot. And guys are all – it's a rotation, starting right guard. So we need to see if Austin Corbett wins that job. And if he doesn't, it's a huge disappointment because he was a number 33 pick in 2018. He's supposed to be starting, and they cleared a spot. And if he doesn't, that's a big deal. Kicker. I know how much you love to talk kickers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, we all do. (laughs) Um, But there's a kicker battle. Do they hand it to the draft pick, the rookie Austin Seibert? who hasn't shown a lot, was inconsistent at best in the offseason? Do they give Greg Joseph, the incumbent, who is up and down as a rookie, but I thought showed promise, do they give him a real shot to win the job? We don't know that. Punter, there's a battle. Um, Now, obviously, when you have the talent that they have on this roster, the training camp battles aren't like they used to be. Right? We used to have battles for every spot or you know, 25 spots and starting spots across the roster. There aren't nearly as many battles. But they're also important, and they start at right guard, and they include backup receiver. They include cornerback, where it looks like rookie Greedy Williams is going to win a starting job, but he still has to do it. He has to beat out T.J. Carey and Terrence Mitchell. Um, I'm going to beat Odell Beckham Jr. has a camp. 
Tuesday in Strongsville. I'll be out there. We get to talk to OBJ. Then Wednesday, we talk to John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens. And then Thursday, practice starts. So we continue to have these camp previews. And then we hit the ground running with camp at the end of the week. And, you know, it's just, it's an exciting time. It's a busy time. You know, training camp tickets were given, and you, they, you didn't buy them, but you went on the Browns website to get them. They were all snatched up within hours. And that just goes again to show you the excitement level for this camp. And, and then people are going to be going nuts. It's the first chance to see OBJ up close and personal and your feet away from him at training camp. And that's, that's fun for fans. Yeah, that's a lot of fun for fans. Well, before we close out the inaugural episode of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast, Scott's quite the golfer, and the extreme <laughs> heat did not keep him off the fairways, oh, I don't know, about four or five days ago. You went out there last week at the end of the week in the 90-plus degree heat on consecutive days, my man. So we're all wondering, what was the shot of the week for you? Man, um, it's a, I'm trying to think. I almost chipped in on 18 at Pine Hills on Friday. That would have been a good one, but it flipped out. I made a couple of birdies on the back nine at Bunker Hill. Um, trying to think which holes they were. It, oh, you know what? At number 11 at Bunker Hill, and I've played Bunker Hill. It's in Medina. I've played there countless times. I mean, I've probably played there 120 times in my life. And I don't know if I've ever birdied number 11, but I hit a pretty good drive down the left side, and then I hit a seven iron to about three feet and knocked it in. So I think that would be my shot of the day. Um, for me personally, in my little world, and then how about that British Open with Shane Lowry, the Irishman winning in Northern Ireland? Uh, it was a runaway, so it wasn't as exciting to watch. You know, I like those majors that come down to the 18th hole and some guy needs to make a putt or hit a shot. But watching the excitement that those fans had and the joy that he took in that and the great golf he played in what weren't always great conditions, um, that's obviously the takeaway for the golf outside of my little tiny shooting 85 world. Hey, that's all right. <laughs> shooting 85 is good. And, and, and the world of many shooting 85 is fantastic. So good stuff. Well, we'll continue to take a look at your golf shots in future episodes for sure. I know the golfing may not happen as frequently yeah. once training camp starts, but you always find a way to mix it around here and there, don't you? I do. I do. I'm trying. I tell you what, anytime that there's a day off from camp, that's my first goal is to get around to golfing. So I'm going to leave here. It's been a little rainy, but I'm going to leave here and try to get in around to golf. Uh, I just love it so much. <laughs> I really do. I mean, there's nothing I would rather do than play around to golf. Very nice. Well, that's going to put a wrap on this inaugural edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast in the coming weeks. We will detail a lot of position battles. We'll go position by position, and Scott will preview how things are looking for the Browns on a day-to-day basis. This will be a weekly podcast. We'll have this for you straight through the end of the season. Things are getting pretty interesting right now. It's been a lot of fun. Scott, a pleasure as always to work with you. We'll do it again next week. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks a lot. Thank you again. Scott Petrak with the Chronicle Telegram. Also, the Medina Gazette. Judge, jury, and executioner as well at brownzone.com. You can catch all of Scott's coverage there at brownzone.com. Don't forget, Scott and I will come your way next week as well with another edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrak, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you again next week.